Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode six of Tate, that's T-A-I-T, which is short for talking about immersive theatre. Pretty much as the title of the podcast suggests, uh, I go out and about and I talk to people who are involved in making, performing, directing and producing immersive performance about the work that they do and some of the processes that they have to go through to get that work out to you, the general public. So let's just get to it. I'm here at Battersea Arts Centre with artist and producer Seth Creeble to talk about his immersive performance work. Uh, so Seth, could you tell everyone who's at home listening a little bit about yourself and your background? My background is not originally in theatre. I studied film at university and worked in that for a little while and uh, sort of drifted into art forms that were more participatory. Mm-hmm. And since moving to the UK, uh, 15 years ago now, I started as a producer working, um, running a, an artist development company called Rules and Regs, which did uh, artist development residencies, yeah. and gradually started growing my process on the side of that. Okay. Uh, what do you think drives that move into making your own work? The drive... I don't know if I can really answer that because I've... I've always been interested in making my own work. It's yeah. just finding the... I've always been interested in making my own work, so the producer activity is more something that supplements that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about finding the right modes of expression for that work. So the Rules and Regs work, where I was really supporting other artists uh, in their development, that program had a very, very strong uh, curatorial strand Mm -hmm. that I found really interesting. We would make rules by which the artist had to make new work. So there was a strong involvement. I wasn't just organizing who went where, when, and that sort of thing. It was really getting involved with the artist. So that, to me, was making my own work after a fashion. But more direct engagement with audiences, that's always been interesting it's just finding the right um, like I say the right sorts of delivery for that and I think um, it's one of the things in some ways isn't it that makes that's kind of slightly different to theatre in that sort of traditional sense and that in terms of things that might be considered performance <laughs> in that broad sense are much more interdisciplinary and you find that everybody is kind of involved in everything because the way the work is made is very different I think to theatre I don't have any formal theatre training, um, which anyone who's seen my work will probably be able to tell you straight away. <laughs> um, I, I do work with theatre makers, they're called proper theatre makers, who have been trained in how to do this, so that when I start throwing these odd ideas out, they have the toolbox to say, okay, that's interesting and maybe it would be best uh, put in front of a, an audience this way, and we can sort of move together. They, coming from a theatre more traditional theatre background and me coming from a, huh, that's interesting, <laughs> lots of, a bit of a magpie kind of background and, and yeah. together we, we find the right way to put it in this context. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not uncommon actually with this kind of work, uh, you know, people like Robert Wilson come from a completely different background to the theatre and I think it kind of started in the 60s really, didn't it, this sort of shift and actually I'm a maker myself and when I come to try and collaborate with other people I find actors the most problematic and I much prefer to work with people from outside of that sort of 
formal training? Well, I, I, have, a, I have a young daughter, and when I'm talking to the other parents at her school, uh, who are just you know a cross section of the British public? They they always refer to me as an actor, yeah. and I always find it a little jarring because I'm I can't act. I have no idea how to pretend to be someone else, which I know is a bit of a broad strokes definition of actor. No, of but, course, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I, that's something I can't do. I have exactly the same. When I say to people, um, "What do you do?" Well, I'm in, in theatre. Like, oh, you're an actor. And in instantly, you're kind of like, "Hmm, I don't actually know how to." Yeah, kind of... not really. No. no? <laughs> so it's difficult. So that leads me to come my next question, really, which is, what do you think um, at the moment makes your work distinctive? Distinctive. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't. I don't know if it is. Um, uh, there are companies making game-inspired work, certainly. Mm -hmm. There are companies making immersive work. Um, and there are companies and, uh, and individuals making work where, where those two things intersect. And I think I'm sort of in that area. Mm -hmm. And it's not a hugely broad field. <laughs> so amongst those people who are doing things that are roughly similar to the sort of stuff I, I like, um, I think we all just have our own uh, different approaches and different aesthetics. So I, I'm not familiar with anyone else who is currently working in the niche within the niche yeah. that I'm doing. You know, it's the same sort. The broad strokes is the same sort of thing. But I, mm -hmm. I follow this aesthetic and this mode of interacting, uh, and and this is how I build a show mm -hmm. and other people do it slightly differently and so there's a nice variety of, of different ways to approach a similar uh, interest. Well, I think you've touched on something there that I'm really interested in kind of chatting to you about and I've talked to other people about this too but this term immersive mm -hmm. I mean for me as a maker and as an academic it's so problematic because it's yeah. so broad yeah. it's kind of used to talk about everything and uh, the Londonist actually said about A House Repeated that, it, that your work turns the concept of immersive theatre on its head and I've Notice in some of the things uh, your work's talked about as performance games, other things it's talked about as interactive. So, what would you, how would you talk about the work? It's a tricky one, and, and I use the word immersive fairly flippantly because it's one of the terms that's floating around out there now, which mm. a lot of people are starting to, to, to use. So, it's useful in that it might give people a way into the work. They might think, oh, it's sort of like that. Mm -hmm. So, I try not to get overly hung up on terms, which is maybe a hangover from my rules and regs days when we were sort of nominally working in the field of live art, and then mm -hmm. that opens up a whole problematic, what is that? Yes. <laughs> avenue. And, and that was a big discussion 10, you know, 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, immersive. Um, my work is definitely interactive. It is... It is completely interactive. There, There is no piece where I could do it to an empty room, mm. which again is kind of maybe a broad strokes uh, way of defining interactive. Um, in terms of immersive, it is... I guess the way immersive is usually used as a shorthand for some sort of uh, promenade theater yeah. where yeah. with a lot with, with usually a lot of uh, production design so a big uh, environment is made yeah. and audience <laughs> is given more or less carte blanche to go where they like and and that, that's great um, my work is not immersive in that way mm -hmm. and perhaps it's 
perhaps that's not a term I should be using. I know Exeunt uh, the other day had a big uh, article on about what what immersive uh, what what's wrong. I, I don't want to do them a disservice. Let me start that over. Exeunt the other day had uh, a big article on talking about immersive theater and where it's going and where it's been and what that term means. Yeah. Um, so I tend to think about my work as interactive, mm -hmm. as storytelling. It's immersive in the sense, it's imaginary immersive, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yes. The, the, the basic aesthetic which I tend to use in most shows is very lo-fi. There's nothing in the room. It is the exact opposite of a punch drunk. Yes. which yeah. really high-end, detailed, lovely production design. I've got a room, maybe a chair, that's it. Yeah. But I come at it more from a storytelling point of view and describe an environment and, and try to get the audience to join me in imagining it. And then I tell them what options they might have to, to move around or do things in that imaginary environment. And then they say, well, I want to go through the door. And then I tell them what. Now you're in another space, and now it is like this, and now you can do this or that. So it sort of functionally works like immersive theater and, mm -hmm. and interact. Immersive theater is interactive in the sense that the audience is interacting with the environment. Mm -hmm. They're moving from point A to point B and not staying in their chair. But immersive theater is often not interactive in that it's really just promenade theater. They don't mess with the actors. The actors are up, the performers Absolutely. are. I agree. I yep. mean, those worlds would and they're beautiful and they're nuanced mm. and you get something very specific out of it i think there's this assumption that if it's immersive then you have agency in right. a specific way and i actually i don't think you do in a lot of that I mean, you kind might have some way. you might choose to look at this instead of looking at that yeah. when in a traditional cross arch deal you can choose to be there and then you can <laughs> choose to close your eyes yeah. or not and apart from that you're that's kind of it. That, that is your only yeah. agency as an audience member. So something traditionally called immersive, you have a bit more going on than that in that you can follow this character or, or go look over there where no one is, is at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so it gives you a bit more, but it, it's, it's just promenade, which is, I don't mean it's just promenade in a pejorative sense. It's, it's promenade, promenade theatre, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas interactive can be end on proscenium arch stuff yeah. but there's some kind of feedback mechanism between audience and performer and the show is shaped by that interaction and I know most actors will tell you there is a feedback of energy and of laughter course. and yes absolutely uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a bit more uh, defined explicit systemic interaction well I, I think I mean I've been I research immersive very broadly immersive work and I think at the moment um, there's almost two kinds because people like Josephine Machon and Gareth White who've written all the books about it so far have talked about the fact that immersive isn't kind of an access to an interior that's fine that's fine but I've noticed that um, there's a whole nother lot of work which I think yours is kind of more falls into the camp of work that we work together to make that fictive space rather than that fictive space already existing for us to enter into. Yes, uh, if space is mm, broadly more than just a three-dimensional space. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. In that kind of really conceptual, material and conceptual yes, yes. kind of way. Um, so my work is 
interactive, definitely. Immersive, maybe, depends on how you define it. Uh, but it does have that very lo-fi, nothing here, we're just going to talk and we're going to sort of imagine together aesthetic at the other end of the spectrum from uh, your punch drunks or your secret cinemas, which is very, very uh, tangible and, and highly designed environments. So I'm at the other end of the spectrum from them. And then to uh, some extent, I'm also toward the other end of the spectrum from them on the interactive front. Yeah. Um, I, the producer, David Micklem, called my work uh, Austerity Punch Drunk, uh -huh. which I think is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd love to put on a poster at some point because it's... Well, you build yeah. it in you. So in, in, the, in the fact that uh, Punch Drunk's work is kind of immersive in the fact that you enter into, into a whole other world. Yeah, like, that's it, a good With your way, work, yeah. you kind of... You, your mind, your imagination almost becomes the sight. So it's in, immersive because you're fundamental to the construction of yes. that conceptual yes. space. Yes, and th this is part of the problem, not the problem, part of the difficulty of making the work is that it's very, very hard to make in isolation. Mm. I mean, we're speaking now of, uh, a few hours before I'm doing some scratches of a new piece because you can only write it so far before then you have to put it in front of an audience who will give you an answer to the question, what do you want to do? Yeah. So you can test how, if the gears that you've put in place work, if the scenarios come to life when you throw them at somebody who's not heard them before. Well, that kind of bumps me on actually a few questions because um, that's what I, was, I make fairly similar kind of work and I think it very much comes from a kind of a live art place it's really interesting that you kind of talked about that earlier but um the difficulty i find is in the r&d process there's only there literally is only so far you can go before you require those participants because the work doesn't exist without them so i was going to ask you about the, the kind of the challenges of how do you how do you manage that i still haven't found a great way of managing that it's but. it's very difficult um i've been following a fairly similar seam for several shows in a row. Mm -hmm. And then there's one or two shows that are, are kind of splitting off into different directions. Uh, so for the newer work, I can build on a lot of the experience I've gained along the way. Yeah. So when I was making A House Repeated, I had the experience of, I think at, the, at that time, five years worth of different versions of the unbuilt room. Yeah. So House Repeated is, is longer um, and it has different sections where more happens. But I, could, I wasn't starting from complete starting line. I had uh, an, an interaction method already basically in place from the unbuilt room. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a lot of just trying to think it through and working at the desk with a piece of paper, which I know I think is out of fashion now, or it's been for a while. I'm really old-fashioned, uh, <laughs> I, I use paper still as well. Um, <laughs> And then, but then eventually you do need to stick it in front of some people. So it's having supportive uh, people and institutions who will, will give you a room and a place to scratch. Or, um, I, I've do, done work in progress, things at the, uh, the <clears throat> whoever's editing this, cut that out please. <laughs> I almost just slipped there, I'm getting very tired. I've done work in progress things at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton, it's very supportive. BAC here, it, fantastic, and they're another home from home for me now. Uh, and they, there are groups of people 
who I trust to bring in very early, who have seen the work before, and who are not surprised by what happens, but you need to test, is this particular thing going to work? And then once you get to a certain point, then you can put it out to a public scratch process like we're doing tonight, where we'll have people who might not have seen anything like this before getting a first taste, but we're still in, in a real bumpy phase. And you just there, there is no substitute. You can run it uh, in rehearsal, assuming you know what the audience is going to come back to as much as you like, but yeah. there is no substitute for throwing it out to a real brain and having someone give you a curveball back that you just had no idea what was coming. Yeah, and I, I think that that's always the case, isn't it? You always try and anticipate potentially yeah. people's reactions, responses, um, but there's always, I've found yeah. something that throws you a complete curveball and you're like, wow, okay, I never even considered it from that and, perspective. Uh, you know, as, as much as uh, you can build up um, a form, a, a mode of interaction where you say this, I say this, and we go back and forth, even no matter how tightly scripted it is, and, and all of my stuff is really very, very tightly scripted, you find in the actual moment of performance, you have to rely a lot on, I, I hesitate to call them improv skills because it's not actor <laughs> comedy improv skills, yeah. but within that very tightly defined kind of algorithm that you've come up with, uh, when the audience throws in something, you sort of have to trust yourself yeah. to put it through the black box and whatever pops out in that moment of yeah. pops out. <laughs> and I think there's some, I was going to ask you about this too, there's a real skill to performing in this way and there's no kind of training you can do that prepares <laughs> you for it. I think it literally comes from some experience. I was going to ask you about how you felt about yeah. what happens in performance. It's just... A building up experience over the years and mm-hmm. um, like I say a lot of these shows uh, have very similar uh, interaction methods uh, I've, I've done I've lost track of how many different versions of the unbuilt room I've done which is the uh, six people at a time 20 minute kind of basic version of this um, interactive fiction storytelling stuff that mm-hmm. I do um, and I've done so. I've done bespoke versions for this museum or that theater. Uh, so the content has changed, mm-hmm. but the form stays the same, and the the form, the, the 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 way in which you interact with the audience stays the same. So you just build up a skill set of when somebody thinks they're being clever and throws that one at you. And and they're looking very smug and you're thinking, I've heard this for the past three years. And you have it ready. But the first time that someone threw that at you, you had to think on your feet. You just, I don't know, you just get... The only thing I can think it's like is a stand-up comedian who has to be ready for a heckler. And they might have several... Pat answers, ready to throw back at somebody, but they also have to think of their feet. They have they have to improv, but they're doing it not in character, but within their performance persona. Yes. So when you're doing the work and it is truly interactive, even if I'm going to come back to the what I mean by truly interactive. Um, <laughs> But when you're doing the work and you're in the moment and you and you think you have 
all your plates spinning nicely, and somebody throws something at you. You say, what would you like to do? And they say, I want to, and you go, oh. <laughs> no one's ever said that before. <laughs> Staying in your performance persona, trusting in the way that you have handled these things in the past, and you just yeah. throw something out there. And sometimes you, you know, <coughs> sometimes you lose it, and you crash, and you just. But uh, I guess the way my shows specifically are structured is that um, I usually start by introducing myself. Hi. I'm Seth, and we're going to we're going to do this do now. This, yeah. So when I and then, and then I sort of go into a bit more performancey mode, yeah. less chatty mode, a bit more I am the game mode. <laughs> but still, some it, it's it's a great pleasure for the audience sometimes to when you let them see that you're cracking a bit and yes. you kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got me there. But we're gonna we're gonna try to carry this thing on now, <laughs> and everybody has fun together. And that I mean that's the point of. The interactive stuff, like you said, you're yeah. working. You really are working together. Yeah, and there's a real playfulness, and I think because you're there as yourself, but it's mm. this kind of performative version of yourself that's mm. marshaled by the rules, tasks, or kind of yeah. game yeah. mechanics that you have set up. And I, I think you're right in saying it's a case of you just have to trust in all of those things that you've set up and you've spent the time developing, because actually they're the, the mechanics yeah. are actually the what. Or even if you laugh, even if something goes terribly wrong, you can pick the mechanic up yeah, again. You, yeah, you keep going. Pushes you through. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the unbuilt room was originally, uh, came from me thinking about those old, you know, late 70s, early 80s uh, computer games, the interactive fiction stuff like Colossal Cave Adventure and the really yes. first um, of, of, of the interactive fiction stuff and that, that I you know, played growing up and then taking those that that form and ooh, what would it be like to do that live and you know here we are however many years later um, so the early versions of Unbuilt Room I was my performance persona was much different because mm -hmm. I was very much viewing it as me playing the computer yeah yeah and over the years I, I think I said I'm not an actor I have no theater training so over the years I've come to realize that that's that makes conceptual sense, but it's not maybe the best way to bring the audience in. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really funny when I think back to the early shows and how much warmer the performance persona is now mm -hmm. to then, and how much more effective it is to, to get people to cooperate in your, um, in this sort of imaginary, thing that you're trying to lead them through. It's about an invitation is that you have to yes, you yes. have to find a way to make a, even if you're doing something fairly challenging and something quite difficult, for example, like what Adrian Howells does, but it's the way the invitation is yeah. couched and the way that you're made complicit, I think, becomes significant for whether the audience will play with you or yes. not. Uh, I work with a theatre maker called Zoe Boras a lot. She's in a house repeated she's mm -hmm. in the new piece uh, tonight and we talk a lot in rehearsals and in devising because the game is largely written and then we take it into the space and devise a bit uh, of how it will be sort of realized and we talk a lot about invitations and permissions mm. because you can tell an audience that they can talk to each other yeah 
but that doesn't mean they're going to. The number, no. of time, the number of times I talk with each other, it'll really help if you talk with each other, and then a third of the way through the show, no one has spoken to their neighbor, and at some point someone will say, can we talk to each other? I'm just thinking, I, I, I did tell you. Many times. Many times, but just saying it yeah. doesn't mean it, because you have how many years of being told to shut up in the theater? Of course, and it's ingrained, yeah. isn't it, in those spaces. Yeah. So to give permission mm. to behave in a slightly different way, you know, so there's the invitation to come, we're going to do this together, and then it's okay, mm -hmm. you can do these other things, invitations of permission. And I think um, a little bit of damage was done uh, in the 1960s with some, some participation that was difficult and challenging and that um, was really confrontational. So sometimes the word participation and uh, interaction frightens lots of people because of that legacy. Mm -hmm. So I think that sort of plays into it as well. People are like, are you tricking me? Did you mean it? Oh man. Can I actually? Or am I going to be now singled out and humiliated? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, and, and I think all audiences are like this. I know yeah. English audiences are particularly, <laughs> do not make me single me out. Um, and the number of times uh, very early in a piece, um, someone will willfully, uh, let, let me maybe, maybe explain this differently. The number of times uh, very early on in a piece, yeah, at the beginning we'll do a little tutorial. This is how you express what you want to do. Uh, this is how we're going to talk with each other. Um, let's try it out. So I might say to you this. And you give a real gentle, hey, it's just me, we're here, we're talking, just two people. And you give a real easy lead. So you can open the door. What would you like to do? And you say, I want to run away. And, uh, well, okay. Um, but that, that is within, that, that is your right. If you want to say, I, I want to run away, it's probably not going to get you real far within the structure of the game. Yeah. Um, and I just gave you a nice gentle lead. So maybe take it and you talk to people yep. after and they say oh well I, I thought you were trying to trick me yes, and you give them absolutely no reason to think that <laughs> no. but there's something that just says no there's no the, the, the audiences come in with very little trust yes and that's not their fault it's something that you need to be aware of and you need to build trust from the, the absolute moment that uh, they hear about the show in mm -hmm. the way that, that it's, it's, it's publicized and from the moment they meet you and then you absolutely cannot trick them no. or it's all gone yeah immediately but if you do if you are honest about it this is what we're doing this is what we're doing it's fine <laughs> and they gradually start to come out of their shells and they yeah. go oh, uh, okay, okay yeah I, I guess I do trust you and it is it is just us in here yeah. you know and he hasn't asked anyone to stand up and sing or take off their clothes or do anything crazy and thus far he hasn't done anything crazy so okay yeah you know you that you can really really get people very involved and everybody has their own starting line mm. on that and some people will boom jump straight in some people will jump alarmingly straight in you know and, yes. and other people yeah. you work and you work and you work and you don't get nope still in the shell and you know, there's always going to be kind of ends of the bell curve. Yes. But if you can get the, the the tail end to come a little bit, you know, like an invitations you know, and and honesty. Wait, yeah, we're not trying to trick you. We're just going to have some fun. Mm -hmm. 
But I think it's, it is, especially in Britain, there's that, that legacy of fiction and kind of a fictive space in terms of theatre. So I think there's always that worry, are you for real? Do you think if you, different spaces make, make a difference? So if you were to do it in a gallery setting, or which, I which you have in museums and things, mm. has that, do you engender more trust immediately in those no. spaces? No. No. I, I don't know why. I think it's more something with a national character. No, that's not fair to say because I haven't tried it in other countries. I think it's maybe something more in... It's not to do with the arts or with theatre. It's to do with society, mm. with how people treat people. I, I might have a guess, and it is, I, I hasten to add, a guess as to why English audiences, more than, than British, but just English audiences... Um, are very, very reluctant to engage. Um, one, I'm sure there are lots of factors here and we're talking very broad strokes. Um, one of the things as an outsider that is very difficult to negotiate or to navigate in English society is the, the use of subtext. You just cannot be honest. You just cannot say what you mean. And I've been accused of all kinds of things when what, what I was really shooting for was sincerity. And then, <laughs> no, no, I, I, I mean that. Just, there it is. So it takes a while for people to understand that there isn't something hidden here. Mm. Uh, and that's a tricky thing to do. And I don't want to be hard on English audiences. It's, 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 it's a tricky thing to do when you're used to working in this way and someone else comes at you in a different way. Yeah. You have to bridge that gap and make your way, make your way there. And you can kind of see, because where's the one in current uh, British performance, and I'm not an academic, the one place that jumps straight out to me as the place where you can interact is Panto. Yes, absolutely. We have a huge yeah. history of, of that kind of interaction. And Panto's for kids. Yes. And it's also the place where the adults know the rules of interaction, and they know they're not going to get singled out. Or if they do, like if the wicked stepsister singles you out for a little bit of a joke, it's not that bad. It's okay. It's okay. Yes. They'll poke gentle fun at you, but really it's cool. Yeah. Um, Children's theatre is interactive because the kids haven't learned that everything is double is subtext yet. No, no, exactly. It, they, they take it, it face value, still, don't they? They trust. Yeah, at that <laughs> at that age of openness and trust and surface, yeah. you can do interaction without any trouble. Mm -hmm. And Panto is the one uh, thing that, that kind of carries that through to adulthood because it's very, very strictly defined. Mm -hmm. We're going to a Panto. Here are the rules. Everybody knows the rules. Half the characters talk to the audience, recognizing that the audience is there. Yes. <laughs> you know, not pretending it's a fourth wall and that uh -huh. it's not cinema, you know. <laughs> yes. um, so in those very, uh, in those narrow situations, interaction is, is very easily possible. Outside of that, you have to work pretty hard mm. to gain uh, the audience's uh, enough openness from the audience to make it okay to let them know it's safe enough that we can now inter we, we can interact and and it's so different and again we're, you know I know we're talking about immersive and we've gone on 
about interactive. Yeah, but there's a blur, but I think there's a mistake that people, like we were talking about earlier, people mistake immersive for interactive. Yes, 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 absolutely. And I think different people, and I actually found that in A House Repeated, I thought it was extremely clear and extremely honest. I mean, I'm kind of ideal audience because I'm game, so I'll jump in, not, not too in, like, because some people go... <laughs> some people go in. Go in oh, immediately yes. hard, and it's quite terrifying sometimes as a performer <laughs> to manage that situation. But I think I'm kind of the ideal... I'll take a minute to figure out what's going on, but then I'll, I'll be game, I'll play, even if it's difficult for me, but it's because I love it. So I always have to remember that as a maker myself as well as I'm like, what's going to give yeah. permission and make that invitation in a way... And sometimes I always ask myself, what would my nan do? Would my nan get this? Would she know what I'm asking here hmm. and what my expectations yeah, yeah. are of you? And so that's kind of my safety. Like, would my nan understand this? Was it was kind of your sort of, your, okay, how would, I don't know, whoever catch this? There are a lot of negatives about not having any theater training. One of the potential positives is I tend to think about it uh, not as a theater maker, but more as a designer or an mm. engineer. And so I'm trying to think, okay, what is the experience that I am trying to make for the audience? Yeah. And I've talked to people with visual arts training about this a lot. Yes. And they think that's insane. <laughs> Which, yeah, what is the audience experience? Well, I can't think about that. I have to follow my... Yes, like, yeah, well, okay, well, yeah, yeah. no, that's fine. It's coming from you, but you are trying to, to, to communicate. Yeah. You are putting something into the world for someone else to apprehend. So what experience are you trying to engender in the apprehender? And if you're not designing that, then you're doing it wrong. Um, so, you know, I, like you say, you, you will my nan get this? That's a nice, I think about, you know, would, would my mom and dad, yeah. would they get this? Uh, <laughs> and if the answer, well, it depends on the audience that I'm trying to reach. Yeah, yeah, if course, it's a general public audience, I need to, no, no, no. Like, give me you know, five, totally minutes. Understand. Let me just, I'll finish this thought. So, sorry, Ender. There are several different versions of Unbuilt Room that have developed over the years for different audiences. So, when you're doing a art audience, art theater audience, you <laughs> can sort of skip ahead a little bit through yeah. the intro. Uh, there might not be these sort of more poetic breaks in the middle, or they might be introduced slightly differently uh, when it's a general public audience then I mean we learned this the hard way doing a show at the science museum and I found myself quoting Dostoevsky at a seven-year-old and neither of us were having a good time with it wow. yeah and I thought and, you know after that you kind of go back and re-examine and think hmm okay what would, what would he have liked yeah he wanted another puzzle okay yeah let's do another puzzle and then the theater crowd they might appreciate that punctuating moment of, of heightened language or movement or something that might not work in the other context. So you're still doing the same thing, but you're tailoring it to try to make that experience that you are offering, you have to be, you have to know to whom you are offering it. Yes, and I think it, it, in some senses there can be general, but I think often you are speaking or making that invitation to a specific yeah. audience and I think 
venues like this uh, draw a really particular audience. And I think most sure. spaces are like that. I mean, when I come to BAC, I expect really specific kinds of work. And I come to BAC mm. for that kind of work. Yeah. If I wanted something else, I'd go maybe to the National. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If definitely. I wanted new writing, I'd go to the Royal Court. Yeah, but yeah. if I want to see this kind of work, I come to the BAC or the Vaults or mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. So I think there are expectations that come with those audiences and, this, and then they're kind of trained to, in a way. Oh, sure. <laughs> or or it, it sort of self-selects. I like, uh, I like, someone took me to BAC, I saw the show, I liked it, and mm. I like that sort of thing, and you just sort of start to find the places to which you gravitate. Yeah. I don't go to the Royal Opera House very much because it's not really my thing. No. Uh, but I come here as much as I can because, ooh, it's great. Um, but then when you, even when you move broader outside of, of you know, capital A art contexts, uh, and you're in a, a festival, we did Latitude last mm -hmm. year, well even Latitude has a very kind of arty audience, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. the best <laughs> example, <laughs> um, but you go to, to a museum, you're doing a piece in a museum, or you're doing a piece at, at a different uh, family festival, uh, then the people who really don't want to engage in some sort of weird performance game thing aren't going to. No. <laughs> And fine, that's fine. I don't want anybody. I'm not, I don't want to force anybody in if they're not interested. It's it's okay. Yeah. Um, but some people might peek their head around the door, and then you need to be there to say, okay, let's come in. Ready, <laughs> ready for them instead of oh, you don't speak Italian. Well, this opera is not really for you. Yeah. Door closed. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I I was really taken by House Repeated because I've been coming. <laughs> I've realised recently to this venue for fifteen years. <laughs> which is quite terrifying actually, it makes me feel old, mm. but I have a really specific relationship with this building and sitting and participating in that work made me really reflect not on the possibility, or on the possibilities of what it could be, but also on the possibilities of all the things that it has been for me and I, there was something I really loved about that, yet my students, lots of them came mm. and it's, one, it's the first time they've been to BAC and secondly the first time they've been to something immersive to broadly use that mm. term and actually one of my students made a, a kind of a mistake she left the performance thinking she actually had to go around she didn't realize <laughs> her mistake till she tried to come back in so i thought that was really interesting so um adam alston uh who's an academic at uh, surrey university i think um has recently been talking about this idea of errant audiences in immersive work and i was wondering oh, wow. how much you came across like like what my student did in in the house repeated when you did that here? Not much. Ah. Um, and I remember that show where someone very excitedly got up and ran out. <laughs> and so I was talking to Zoe about it afterwards, and we were both going, What? Yeah, uh, it was okay, one of know, my students. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, I mean, on one hand, I'm glad she was enthusiastic. That's yeah. great. You know, she yeah. didn't just sit there like a lump. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Sometimes you can see that people have expectations that something else is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And less so in House Repeated, which is sort of a more crafted uh, piece with... It, it, has, uh, um, it has a very intentional arc. And yes. we start here, and then at this point you pivot to this and then at this point something else happens and it provides a, res a resolution or a landing and then we're done, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, unbuilt Room is timed. Yep. So when 
and I tell you that at the beginning and I show you the timer and I turn the timer on and then I set it down and when the timer rings, regardless done. of what's happening, <laughs> boom, done, thanks. And which is brilliant because you know, frustration is such a big part of exploration mm. that people, ooh, we want to know what's behind the door. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, but because you very clearly set out the, the rules in both cases, we're going to do this as this is how it goes. And in the first two minutes, people get the, the feeling, get, get, get the idea of what's going on. It's very, very rare that someone thinks something else is suddenly going to happen yeah. or they need to act a certain way. Uh, I mean, literally three times out wow. of the hundreds of times I've done Unbuilt wow, Room okay. and however many I've done House Repeated now, just, yes. just for those two shows. Uh, very, very few times somebody has stood up mm. and moved and broken the, yeah. the, uh, the, all we do is sit, we sit and we talk. Well, the so, rules of engagement are very clear yeah, as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought as soon as, you know, as soon as you explain what's happening, it's like, okay, great, I know exactly how to engage and how to yep. play within these parameters here. So it, it's interesting because they've even crossed my mind to, to get up and leave. So I was so interested in the fact that she felt pushed in order to do that, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think at that point, when you're coming with a load of other, maybe, expectations, uh, yeah, you're, you're coming with a load of other expectations floating around that you think you know what this is going to be, yeah. and then it's not that. Yeah. It's very clear what it is, but whether it's someone who, like we were talking about, isn't usually willing to interact or mm -hmm. it's somebody who thinks it's going to be uh, a highly designed environment show yeah, or yeah. it's someone who thinks whatever all of these different expectations and assumptions come into the room and this is holds true for all performance everybody brings their assumptions and expectations and it's how you take that disparate group get everyone gently lined up and invite them to maybe walk this way. Mm. And I, I think that was done really succinctly and really effectively, I thought, in the house repeated. So I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing the scratch tonight. Well, don't get your hopes up too high. It's very, <laughs> yeah. The, the, secret, <laughs> the secret to a happy life is low expectations. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. There's loads of other things I want to ask you, but the reality is, is I know you're really pushed for time and. I'm really grateful you took the time out to talk to me today. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Sorry I have to run on. No, that's fine. So I'm sure people at home are thinking, so where can I potentially catch your work? So is there anything kind of coming up in the next sort of six, seven months or so that we should be looking out for? A House Repeated will be on tour. Um, Excellent. A few dates in the middle of uh, the summer and then really through the autumn and into early 2017. Great. Um, and I'm developing a new piece, again, back here at BAC, in early 2017, we'll start scratching that. Yeah. The thing that I'm scratching tonight is actually on in the Brighton Festival next, uh, in, within two weeks. Wow, okay. The 20th and 21st of May, so I imagine that will already have gone Yeah, I might have to time. tweet, I'll tweet about that, because I live quite near Brighton anyway, so uh, yeah, yes. Uh, yes, I'll um, tweet it out. So that's what this is for, uh, but really, House Repeated is going to be out on tour and then working on a new, uh, a new piece of another 
imagined, immersive, interactive thing. Where's the best place for people to find out about these things? Is it your website, Twitter, Facebook? We website, which is sethcribble.com, which then directs you to individual show websites and Great. all over the place. Lovely. And are you on Twitter as well? Yes, uh, uh, at Seth Gribble. Excellent. So it's easy to find you, and I'm sure uh, people at home will be going and having a look now. So again, thank you very, very much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. Please do share with anyone else you think might find it interesting, insightful, or useful. Uh, and do get in touch. I love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback. And you can do that in so many different ways, but the best way is usually via social media. So you can leave a comment on Facebook, on YouTube, or you can tweet me on Twitter. Next month in episode seven, I am going to be talking to Anthony from Death's Head Productions, who is a practitioner who visited London last month from New York City. And I'm not going to say any more than that at this stage. Next month, all will be revealed. So please do tune in. All right, then until next month. Bye bye. Just a little P.S. Uh, tickets for Wishbox are now on sale at the new Theatre Royal. So if you'd like to come down and participate, then you can get your tickets either online on the new Theatre Royal's website or via their booking line or over the counter if you're based in Portsmouth. Uh, and one final little thing. I just wanted to give a shout out to my mum and dad to say congratulations because on the 9th of October, it's actually their 40th wedding anniversary, which is enormous. Uh, so congratulations, mum and dad. 40 years, Ruby wedding anniversary. Nice one. All right then, until next month. Bye-bye.